Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Here we go. Welcome once again to the Arrow Man in Stockholm podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor, and that is the least interesting he- thing that you're going to hear in the next God knows how long that we're going to be talking about this. It's only a few weeks, ladies and gentlemen, since social media was alive with people amazed at a man sitting left-handed and writing a song. Indeed, the Beatles Get Back documentary was absolutely everywhere, and I still haven't watched it because I'm just that contrary. The reason I haven't watched it is because I watched The Last Dance. It went on for 10 or 12 hours, and it was far too long, which led me to ask him the question, what is a documentary? How do you make them? And why are we making them so long all of a sudden? And who better to talk about things long-winded and boring than Pat O'Mahony, award-winning documentary maker of Reporters at War and of a certain uh, radio documentary about a Stockholm Gaelic football club. Pat, how are you keeping? I could think of uh, lots of better qualified people to talk about uh, making documentaries. I really don't I'm, think- I'm free and you're stuck and <laughs> you know, they're, they're free in so many ways you know you know i always think though you know and this is the thing that you know we've known each other a long time but at the same time i mm. still look up to you this is the, the weird thing about the relationship and you're taller than me so i find that odd unbelievable you know but i do spend most of our time sitting down together i don't want to make you feel bad boom 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 better be uh, pat i mean you haven't watched get back yet uh, I still haven't watched it, no. And that was why, like, you know, there's, I'm always wary of these things that, you know, when everybody else goes absolutely mad for something, I still haven't seen Game of Thrones, right? I'm always very, very suspicious. And then when you see, you know, the stuff that people put out, right? And it goes viral. So Paul yeah. McCartney's sitting there and he's noodling away on the guitar. And having played a good bit of music myself, I go, well, that's what happens. That's how songs are written. This is yes. not, you know, the first time. But I would have thought that as a musician, you would even be more intrigued by it. Do you know what? Um, I- you know, I don't know. I've seen some of this footage before, Um, uh, you know, and then, then John Lennon making Imagine and Yoko Ono wandering around the background. And I just don't know if I can get emotionally invested in How long is it? Is it like 10 hours? Or it's something like that? eight hours over three programs. Okay. And so- it is um, one of those albums that you think you know. Uh, and of course, they also, uh, they recorded stuff um, didn't make that album. So some of it made uh, Abbey Road. Some of it turned up on George's solo uh, uh, albums. Some of it uh, turned up on Ringo, you know. Um, yeah. So there's a real mix there. And you're kind of going, hang on, that wasn't for Let It Be. Oh, yeah, no, 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 Maxwell Silverhammer. That was on Abbey Road, of course. But then you realise that um, uh, even though Let It Be was the last album they recorded, uh, uh, that they released Abbey Road was the last album they recorded hmm. and it's in my book a better album um, and that's part of it but I was intrigued by it um, I was intrigued as a documentary maker as much by what Peter Jackson was doing um, visually as well as um, with the like he has a lot of great audio hmm. but he didn't necessarily have pictures to go with it in that he had audio of people talking but the camera may not have been on them at the time yeah and how he covered that so that's a technical thing um uh i was i was glued to it for the the eight hours because a i'm a big beatles fan um i remember in 
Oh God, nine times, when did I do my intercert? 76, so the summer I think of 75, I did a, a, we had to do a geography project at home over the summer. Mm. And I did it upstairs in parents' house in Kildare uh, town. And I had a little cassette recorder and I listened to Rory Gallagher's Tattoo You and Let It Be by the Beatles nonstop. I just kept flicking them over. And that was my, so, you know, there's an emotional resonance to that album. Um, But also I had just watched um, McCartney 321. Okay. The six by 30 minutes um, began with, it was a song it's it's with what's his name from Def Jam Records, the producer who Rick did Rubin. the John, Rick Rubin, who did the Johnny Cash albums. Mm-hmm. So Rick Rubin is a huge music fan, and I believe he has a podcast series where he talks to people in that classic albums format about you know their music. Um, and I don't know, I haven't heard the podcast, but with McCartney 321, he basically got McCartney in a room. It looked like an old barn, but they'd set up uh, a desk, analog desk, and there was an acoustic guitar nearby and a piano. And over six half hours, they went through mostly Beatles records and mostly old stories about the Beatles, uh, Beatles tracks, and 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 had the faders up and down. Of course, back then they were recorded very basically, so sometimes you had just two, maybe four tracks, uh, with with the wings. Uh, and solo stuff, he would have had had more to to fade in and fade out. Um, but it was intriguing. It was great because McCartney, you know, in his seventies, is still a huge music fan, and he and he still loves his music. Um, so it was on the back of that that I watched it, and I was like you, I was wary of the hype, so I didn't watch it for a while, um, and also I was wary of the duration. Eight hours is a big commitment. Uh, for uh, what is in essence one documentary, but of course it's it's in three parts. Uh, and then I thought about it and went, hang on a minute, I have given over how many hours to The Sopranos, to Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. uh, dramas, uh, but also to documentaries like um, The Tiger King, uh, Making a Murder, for instance, you know, um, and there's another series of that, I believe, on the way. Um, so um, it depends, like you were talking about durations of documentaries and how, how long is too long. Mm. If the story is there, if, if, you know, the Beatles were the biggest band in the world. Um, so, you know, and, and th- this was at the time when they were breaking up. You know, George walked out at one stage in the documentary. Um, Yoko was there in the background um, and she was, of course, accused of breaking up the Beatles. So so I hadn't seen the earlier documentary with the original footage of this. Hmm. Um, Jackson very deliberately, I believe, has tried not to use the footage that was used in that documentary. But it's intriguing. It's fascinating. And it holds you, especially if you're a music fan. Mm. It really holds you. And I've never written a song in my life. So to see, you know, George and Ringo sitting in front of Paul one morning, John was late and he's just banging away 
on a bass guitar with chords and um he like he has nothing and george is yawning and less than a minute later he has the guts to get back hmm. you know it's 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 amazing when you think that these are you know the, the biggest songs in the world ever you well, know. that's the thing. It, it does capture a moment in history, right? But if we if yes. we zoom out a little bit, right? Because the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically about documentary making is because of you, the way you made Reporters at War, right? That was, if I'm not mistaken, it was four one-hour episodes. Is that right? Well, what's intriguing about it, of course, is you, there's a couple of things. Uh, you say I made it. I just, It was my idea uh, I had with um, uh, the exec producer at True Vision, uh, uh, Brian Woods and um, uh, we took it to Discovery. Uh, they liked it. We hummed and hawed about what would be go into it. Uh, they commissioned it as uh, the uh, in two thousand and three, as the war in Iraq had just started, and the attrition rate of journalists being killed was huge. Um, uh, so it was opportune. We were lucky. Um, a high price to pay, but we were. Um, and originally, they commissioned us to make three by Discovery one hours. So they're about 47 minutes because they have a lot of ads. And we brought in um, an award-winning director, John Blair, um, to make it um, uh, and to, to direct it. So I worked very closely with him throughout the whole project. But what quickly uh, happened was when we were doing the interviews and looking at all the archive, um, uh, Paul Bell, our archive researcher, did a great deal with ITN and with the BBC on footage. So we had great footage um, mm -hmm. that formed the basis of it. And then we went off to, to other um, sources. But um, the first programme was going to be about the physical and psychological dangers of being a war correspondent. And very quickly, when we came back and started looking at the footage and of the interviews that we had done, we re realized we had more good material than we could use in an hour. Mm -hmm. So we went to Discovery and said, we do two hours. We won't charge it that much extra. We'll just cover costs. But there's enough here for two really good hours. So Discovery in the US, who came in on the deal uh, about halfway through production, which gave us more money, to, which we spent on archive, um, they then uh, showed it as four by uh, one hours, four by 47 minutes. In Discovery Europe showed it as the initial program is two hours and then two one hours uh, for episode two and three. So that's how it broke down. So even though something is commissioned at a certain length, that's your starting off point. Now, usually they're locked in stone because um, you have a certain budget and you have transmission slots to fill. And those transmission slots are fairly rigid. So we couldn't have gone to Discovery and said, instead of giving you 47 minutes, can we give you 53 or maybe 68 or whatever? It was either one or two because they were the slots that did the duration of the slots. So that's how that came about. Uh, but that is rare. Usually if you're commissioned by a broadcaster, they have their slot durations that you 
have to cut to. Whereas if you're making, this podcast can be as long or as short as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, if you're making a feature documentary for cinema release, you can make it as short or as long as you want. And that kind of reminds me of the, um, you know, when we went moved from vinyl to CDs, the average length of a vinyl album, well, the max you could get is about 45 minutes, about 22 and a half minutes per side. Mm-hmm. After that, um, mastering became a problem from an audio perspective um, because of the nature of uh, vinyl and the fact that the needle is traveling much faster on the outside of the record than it is in the inside. So bass becomes a problem as you move closer to the inside on vinyl. Whereas with CDs, they could have picked any duration they want. I, I believe that, you know, it's something got to do with some Mozart or Beethoven symphony. Um, and that's why it's about 75 or 80 minutes, something like that, which means albums now could be much, much longer. And people started to complain that they were too long you know, that, that there was too much flab in them. Likewise, yeah. with documentaries, um, there is no fixed duration of a cinema release feature documentary. Um, so you can make it as long or as short as you want. <coughs> but, and that, that means you can get flab. You can get, you can get ones that are too long. With that in mind, because I mean, to me, it's one of the key things. Like, it's, there's a great uh, road for <laughs> <coughs> sorry sorry bit of the and it's not even COVID there you go but I mean these things happen um, there's a great Reuters editor I was going to say called Nick Mulvenny and we were working at the Olympics many years ago you know and we were talking about all these things he's one of those great people to talk to about writing and news writing and headline writing and an amazing guy altogether and I remember sitting there one day and we'd just been to a press conference and we were trying to decide who do what story you know and I said okay I'm going to take this girl she won the silver medal but she has an interesting backstory I said how many words do you think and he just said to me he said it's very simple write it as long as it reads and when you get yes. bored it's over you know, yes. uh, so that's one of the. But the, that's very different for the written word because a, news, a newspaper, a print outlet, especially online, it, it has that flexibility and freedom of making something as long or short as you want. Yeah. So if you're making a documentary for a broadcaster, yeah. so for instance, um, when I made the radio documentary with you guys in Stockholm for uh, Radio One, the the audio radio documentary, um. Uh, the slot was 40 minutes uh, max. And I think our uh, silver lining came in at something like 38 minutes. Um, And I cut it to fit. Um, Could I have made it longer? Sure, I could. Would it have been better? I don't know. Hmm. Um, And now they have increased the length of it. They they used to have two slots in the hour, a 40 minutes uh, for the dock and then a shorter dock uh, the Curious Ear, um, which was only 10 minutes. I think the Curious Ear, I think, is gone. So now they can make the docu- the radio documentaries longer. Mm-hmm. Does that make them better? I don't know. Um, but it it it's like, you know, make it as long as it feels right. Mm-hmm. And then if you have the freedom to leave it at that, great. But if a broadcaster is saying to you, sorry, it's too long, the max duration of the slot is, well, then you... You know, you have to you have to cut it, and that happens. You begin by cutting the the flab, the the nice bits. Um, um, Jeremy Clarkson told a great story in a column in the uh, Sunday Times many many years ago, 
it was about 2000 and late 2009, early 2010, and he was talking about the cuts that the British government was going to have to make in its budgets following the, the, the great crash of 08. And uh, he said, let me tell you a story about, um, what was the, 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 the motor show they did? Top Gear. Um, Top Gear, that was the one. And he said, we were in Vietnam, he wrote, and we had you know, spent a lot of time researching this. And uh, he said, with any episode of Top Gear, your first cut will come in at about an hour and 10 minutes. Now you're aiming for 57 minutes at the BBC, uh, leaves a bit of room for promos around it and announcements. Um, so he said, you can very easily get it down to, uh, you know, an hour and five if you trim out the flab, the nice shots, the jokes that aren't essential, um, the, 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 the cinematic niceties that really don't aren't necessary he said but you get to about a minute and three and that last six minutes that you're taking out you're taking out some really good stuff Mm -hmm. so he said we were in vietnam and we had we had spent ages with this one area where we built a kind of floating stage on a lake and people had been down there for weeks and we were driving from one end of vietnam to the other and this was halfway there and we stopped off and we did all our piece and our filming over three days and then off we went to finish the rest of it. And when we were in the edit, we realised after cutting all the flab out that we had to then start cutting muscle. And he said, there's two things you can do. You can try and trim out little bits here and there. So you take out five seconds here and five seconds there, two seconds, you know, and it all adds up. Or he said you could take out one big scene, one big scene that may not be necessary. And he said, we looked at that scene with the floating stage on the lake and we realized it wasn't necessary. So we just took it out and dropped it. And that made our time. So my advice, he said to the British government is get rid of Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they had their chance and they didn't take it. But it is true. Like, I mean, I was just, uh, just while we were starting this conversation here, I was up uh, filming recently in Ustashun, which is like 557 kilometers exactly north of where I'm sitting here, because I remember when I punched it into the GPS. And I was up there filming with the Swedish national biathlon team. We're on the way to the Beijing Olympics at the time mm-hmm. recording, right? And again, I recognize exactly what you're saying, right? Because what I call it is sunsets on one chord on a keyboard right? They're the kind of shots that are the first thing to go when you have to trim fat, yeah. like, you know, and they have yeah. absolutely no place in news reporting. So I don't do documentary. I do news reports from okay. anything between a minute and a half, seven, eight minutes, 10 minutes tops. Like, you know, that's mm. the most you'll ever get out of it. And that's the kind of thing that you film it and you, you always have it in the camera and you have the wide shot, the medium shot, the tight shot. You have the shot from the high angle, the low angle, all these kinds of things. And they're, they're there because, you know, it's, it's always better to be looking at it and looking for it. But the moment somebody says to you, it has to be cut down they're the first things to go you know better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it exactly so you know documentary however it's very different from news reporting in a documentary you're you're often going for mood yeah and so uh, you know my first hour-long documentary for television was for channel five and it was about people who either uh, got up in at night and were awake but had a compulsion to eat or who slept uh, they sleepwalked um, and ate while they were, it was a 
very strange topic for a documentary. But, uh, you know, I put cameras in bedrooms, uh, uh, motion uh, sensitive cameras, etc. with permission, obviously, I and really in kitchens so. <laughs> um, with night, you know, night vision cameras, etc. And while we were editing, we realized that I, we, we had, as we were going, picked up shots of, you know, deserted streets at night um, uh, for mood. And we needed more. And one of the lads in the office went out with a camera uh, late at night and got a load of lovely shots of deserted streets. And they were they were great for moving between scenes uh, mm -hmm. for like a paragraph break, um, like changing music. Um, so in a documentary, they're essential. It's how many of them you need when time is a factor. Um, but they do help with mood and mood in documentaries is, is very important. Well, that's the thing. I remember the back at the start of the pandemic, one of the things that sort of saved me, because obviously I work a lot with sport, but then I went over to general news and Sweden being an outlier in the pandemic was brilliant. So I had so many people from the UK and from the US calling me up and saying, OK, can you go out and just film what they call B-roll of street scenes? Mm -hmm. And it's just people walking along with shopping bags and going in and out of shops and chemists and that kind of thing. And it's signs, it's traffic lights, it's pedestrian traffic lights yeah. going from the yeah, red yeah. man to the green man, all this kind of stuff. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like this is, it provides the transitions then for when they get a press conference from Reuters or from uh, the Associated Press or AFP and they put all this stuff together. And, you know, it's amazing to sit here. I used to sit here sort of, you know, turn on the news and watch CNN knowing that I'd done something for them and go, oh, there's my stuff. And it turned up on RTE and it turned up on Swedish TV as well, you know. But, but without like and that b-roll for that b-roll for news is vital because it has to be kept up to date yeah. because if you use an old shot undoubtedly the traffic lights will have changed or the building that building will be gone or the the, the flow of traffic will have changed direction or something just the weather have, in sweden changes yes so you have to they have to be up to date be it b-roll it's also called actuality or when i first I started in television, we call them GVs, general views. General views, GVs. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted that we're really getting into how the sausage is made now, but I'd like to zoom out again just a little bit if we could. Um, does, I wanted to ask you, if you were to get to make one documentary and only one documentary for the rest of your life, is there a subject that jumps out at you that goes, yes, I've always wanted to make a, a story about this, a documentary about this? Yes, there is. and uh, uh, I'm not telling you. I'm... <laughs> Well, it's, uh, you know, uh, six months ago, a year ago, I probably wouldn't have told you. Yeah. Um, and I, I might even be vague on it uh, this time. I have, I have since about 2001 uh, had a, an idea for a, a documentary series. Okay, um, well, let, let me stop you there, Pat, because really what well, I want to ask is I'm not interested. Uh, of course, I'm interested. I love you very much, and I'm really interested <laughs> in your idea, right? But what, what I'm more interested in in this conversation is what are the elements that you would need, you know, in general to make that story like Get Back, to make that story compelling, to make it, you know, to make people want to watch it? What do you need to have in there? What can you absolutely not do without? All right, here's the thing. This is why it probably won't ever get made ah, because boss. it's a series of distinct stories okay. that aren't linked uh, and that don't have cliffhanger moments that bring you back for the next one. I had a long discussion with an, uh, uh, a colleague uh, who has come up the, the ranks um, 
uh, and made a big 9-11 documentary for uh, for Nat Geo uh, uh, with the anniversary uh, in September, the yeah. 20th anniversary. And he, I, I pitched this idea to him that I've had for years and that each time I pitch it, there's another, at least one more uh, element to it. And he said, the reason it won't get in the current climate is that there are distinct stories. Whereas if you're watching Making a Murder, if you're watching Get Back, if you're watching um, Tiger King, uh, each week, each episode, there's a bit of a cliffhanger. Now in, in Get Back, it, you know, it wasn't nail biting. But you, George has left. What? How did? Where? How did that happen? Did I? Did I miss that? Hang on. All right. I need to watch the second one to see how this, you know, uh, resolved itself. Because I know George was with them, uh, you know, when they performed on top of the build on Apple in, you know, for that last gig. So he, he had left. I'd forgotten. You know. So whereas with with other documentaries, um, you know. If you're doing a series of them, that's why mine won't get made. But what you need for any documentary is uh, a compelling characters. Um, you need uh, a story that hasn't been told before, or if it has, this is a completely new angle with new revelations, uh, footage that hasn't been seen before like in get back there was a documentary a short documentary but a lot of it we ne we'd never seen uh the internet was full of um uh stories of what it was and the audio descriptions of the audio but it hadn't been seen um you need that uh, or you need um access unique access to something that's happening now and you're the only one that has it. So, for instance, in 2005, 2006, I wrote about this on the blog. Uh, I was in touch with Silverstein Properties in New York, and there was an Irish guy in the uh, PR office, uh, the communications office. We had got chatting about something else. He said, he said, do you want to make a, a, a documentary about the rebuilding of the Twin Towers? I said, what? I said, surely that's being done. No. I said, no one's doing that. He said, I can't believe it. He said, no one's doing that. Um, and so he, I said, well, uh, I'd love to. Um, let me see. Uh, let me write up something. And you have footage already that you've shot. They, no one had got this. Brilliant. All right. Okay. Went to a production company in London, said, lads, we have this. They went brilliant. They pitched it left, right, and center and got nowhere with it and couldn't understand why um, there wasn't an appetite for it. And it turns out that Steven Spielberg had via the Port Authority, who also have a say in that property and the location, had given him access to the rebuilding. So he was filming away and your man in Silverstein didn't know, which is amazing. But Silver, uh, Spielberg beat me to that one. He got the access before he actually had got the access. I had talked of the access. So unique access is something that will, if anyone's going to wipe your nose and having Spielberg do it, I suppose, isn't bad. Yeah, you kind of accept that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yep. I'm not going to any of your movies ever again. <laughs> um, so uh, so there are the different things. So it, it's a, a, a new and unique angle on something. It's um, unique access. It's, it's characters 
but you have to have you have to have a, a vision uh you know to, to bring it to you have to show on paper that this will be fascinating then this will be must must watch and it will be compelling and then to Back in the day, there were certain documentary slots. Now there are streaming services. So you can actually, it's widened the, the funding possibilities. And it's also meant that you're, if you have something good that has that longevity, uh, like uh, Making a Murder was filmed over, what, 10 years or something? Mm. Um, more by accident than by design, uh, I believe. Um, but you can... You can go to a broadcaster and say, I have this and no one else has it. And I have this vision for how it will look. Give me loads of money. Thanks very much. Goodbye. I was listening to this podcast called In the Dark, right? And it was it's made by some sort of American public media crowd. I can't remember exactly what the name is. Madeline was the name of the reporter. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. And it was really long. So it probably would have been longer than Get Back. But I was willing to give the time to that because the story was sort of so compelling. But I was just thinking back to when you were making Reporters at War and you've made both TV documentaries and you've made radio documentaries. Mm. One thing is, A, which do you prefer? And the second thing is, how intensive is the work? Is it like nine to five, seven days a week trying to get that out there or do you have time to sit back and go hang on a second i need to work out where i want this story to go every project is different um people regularly ask me which do i prefer radio or television or do i prefer working with you know someone like the state broadcaster here in ireland rte or do i prefer working with an indie or in london with uh, discovery or the bbc or you know channel four channel five and each project is different and I, I love radio and I love television. They both bring different uh, challenges. Um, so let's take uh, let's take the uh, the radio documentary I made about the visit of Richard Nixon in 1970 to Ireland on the 40th anniversary. And I, it was I, I even had the title "Early Doors," uh, the forgotten visit, because everyone remembers Reagan and Kennedy and um, the Pope. Uh, well, while well, I was thinking of presidential visits, <laughs> the, po- the Pope, the Pope was never a U.S. president that I know of. <laughs> that I know of. Um, so um, they've forgotten Nixon's one, and I remember because as a kid in Kildare, I waved a flag, a handmade flag, um, U.S. flag, as he drove past me in, you know, the Beast or whatever it was called back then. Mm. Um, uh, and we had fresh memories of Obama, you know, um, visiting. So uh, it, it was timely. Um, but uh, it was like um, that, that, was, that was personal, but it was spread out over a long period. So I was able to dip in and out of it. I was able to organize recording in Limerick in the house he stayed in um, when, he, when he landed in Shannon. Um, and then I was able to organize uh, recording in Kildare, my hometown, with some of the other people who'd been there on the day. I was able to organize up in Timahoe, which is where his Quaker relatives left from uh, and where he visited and talked to the people there. And likewise in, in Dublin, near Dublin Castle, where he finished his visit. So I was able to spread that out, do it myself, uh, all the organizing, all the transport, um, uh, all the recording uh, and the editing. And 
I would have been able to edit it uh, at my own pace. I knew I had a, a target to hit of when they uh, the Duck on One people in Radio One wanted it for, and I was able to work away on that. Um, I'm not sure if it was that documentary or an, or uh, your one that I remember doing a cut on and getting it down to close to, but not right, and um, getting a phone call to do a TV thing. And I thought, oh, actually, this, that TV thing is only for a few weeks. Brilliant. It'll take my mind off it. I can leave it there. So when I come back to it in three or four weeks' time, I'll be able to finish it almost with fresh ears. Mm. Whereas with Reporters at War, in early 2003, we had our final meeting with Discovery in London. And uh, we had settled on what would be the three themes of the three episodes. One would be about the dangers uh, of being a war correspondent. One would have been how technology changes had affected uh, war reporting. And the last one was about propaganda and censorship and how broad, uh, how uh, news people dealt with that. So that was fine. And then we said to them, right, uh, it's now uh, March. Uh, so we'll take about a year to do this. Uh, and they went, no, 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 no. We want it for November. And we went, oh, okay. So we, it kind of, you can do a lot of, you know, you can turn around stuff very quickly if you put more people working on it. So we had two edit suites going at one stage. Um, you know, we had a couple of camera crews going uh, uh, on standby, you know, for doing interviews. Um, uh, and we had our archive uh, guy working on it from the very beginning. He might not have come in until later um, if, if we were going to do it at a more relaxed pay, pace. We might have had a smaller team. So there really is no, no right or wrong way. But the fact that they wanted it sooner rather than later meant that we uh, threw more people at it. Because it was my baby, so to speak, um, I was first in the morning and last to leave at night. And that was actually a pleasure. I threw myself right into it. I loved it. I read all the books, not all the books, but, you know, the the, the first casualty about uh, propaganda. I read the biogs, the autobiographies of the various uh, reporters um, uh, and would have made notes and, and photocopied them and, got, you know, highlighted the relevant bits for the uh, editors, for the um, director, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and gone to some of the I didn't go to all the interviews uh, again because of budgetary constraints. Um, uh, you know, we we traveled all over the world and sometimes the producer or director of that episode would have just gone with a camera crew. But I would have made sure they were genned up on everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I went and did some of them. I remember I went down to Al Jazeera um, myself with a camera crew and we did everything um, there interviews and lots of b-roll actuality in al jazeera and we would have then got um archive from them relevant to the stories we were covering um so it, i even i remember even after my contract was up 
there was still some stuff to be done. And I went, lads, this needs to be done. I don't have a gig starting for another while. I'm going to do this work. If there's a few bob left over at the end, you know, when you're doing up the figures, you can throw it at me, but it needs to be done. That's how connected I was to it. That doesn't kind of happen very often, but it did. Um, and uh, and that one was, like I said, I was first in the morning, I was last to leave at night. And when I went home, I was reading autobiographies. It's amazing how you can become consumed by a story and a story you want to tell like that. Mm, and mm. it would, I'd recommend anybody listening who hasn't actually seen Reporters at War needs to go back and listen to it. And Pat, as, as a mark of my gratitude to you for having this conversation Crikey. with me, I'm, I'm going I'm, to now you're frightening me. No, no, I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I'm going scared. to watch Get Back, right? I'm going to watch All right. Get Back. You watch Get Back. And anyone who wants to watch um the reporters at war, if they look up uh True Vision Television, in obviously it was made in 2003. Um it was transmitted in the UK and Europe the end of 2003, early 2004. Uh in the US in 2004, which was why it qualified for uh, being nominated for an Emmy uh, in 2005, which it won. But if you go to, tr- if you Google True Vision Television um, and then uh, search for reporters at war there, uh, you'll actually find the video links to it. It's up there and you can have a look at it. Um, so it can, all, it can be on, all three by four, 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 what's that, 100? It's about in total, about three and a half hours. Super. I'll give you three and a half hours of my life. I've probably given you more than that over the years, but I'll give You'll you another give Peter three Jackson eight hours, won't you? No, no, I, I'm going to give it to you first. I prefer <laughs> you to be. Well, look, at I, I'm actually gunning for Spielberg now after that story, that bastard. Oh, man. Oh, look, uh, at, we live to fight another day. Heartbroken, Pat- I was. Heartbroken. <laughs> if, I you go to, if you go to patomahoney.ie um, slash off message, which is the blog podcast thing I do, you'll find there. Um, one of the one of the stories in the blog is about how Spielberg wiped my nose with uh, the rebuilding of the World Trade Center and a whole load of other stuff about me wanting to work in New York and it never happening. So it's all. You know what? I think I have an idea for a documentary. All right. It'll, it'll never get made. Believe you me. <laughs> bitter experience. Pat no, bitter, bitter, twi- bitter and twisted. <laughs> That's a, that'll be the name of it. Bitter, bitter and twisted. Pat O'Mahony's <laughs> war with Steven Spielberg. Pat, thanks very much for talking to me. Cheers, Philip. Uh,